innovative, often duplicated. When enough people get on the trend, I elevate it, make it way harder for them to follow what I take. It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea. Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up. So just take your stuff, rake it up, and take the bus. Never fake the funk, you painted skunks. You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space, so the weight is up. Fight, fight. One of the greatest things about jiu-jitsu is that you get to train with the heroes and legends of the art. One of the coolest things about owning a jiu-jitsu academy is that sometimes those heroes and legends come in and train with you. That's what happened at Bellingham BJJ, the academy that I own with David Porter and Betsy O'Donovan, this week. The great Felicia O, oh, PANS champion, Masters World champion, no-gi PANS champion, and ADCC silver medalist, came by to train with us for two days. She graciously trained with some of our brand new students, rolled with some of us upper belts, dropped some knowledge, and sat down for about an hour-long interview that's one of the most interesting I think we've ever done on the show. She talked to me about what training with Jean-Jacques Machado was like and how Jean-Jacques' attitude actually was conducive to the rise of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu with Eddie Bravo. She talked about starting Jiu-Jitsu at 33 years old and still rising to elite grappler status, competing against the likes of Leticia Hibero and Megumi Fuji, two of the best to ever do it. She talked about nearly having to walk away from Jiu-Jitsu and MMA due to chronic fatigue and how she overcame that. She talked about self-defense versus sport jiu-jitsu, why people should do both gi and no gi, and she told one of the best origin stories I've ever heard. I always ask how people got started training, and Felicia's story is the only one I've ever heard that involves the Y2K scare, the LA Marathon, and Rudy Fishman. All of us at Bellingham BJJ had a great time training with Felicia O, and we can't wait to have her back for a seminar, hopefully in September. Here's an interview with one of the pioneers of the sport in America, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed conducting it. U.S. Grappling is far and away my favorite tournament organization because the customer experience is unparalleled. It's run by grapplers for grapplers, and it really shows. I've been watching my Facebook feed, seeing all the photos come in from U.S. Grappling Raleigh, and everybody on the podium has such a big smile on their face. That's because they've competed at a tournament that's by grapplers for grapplers with high-quality trained referees and have had an incredible experience learning, training, and getting better on the mats. You can register online at usgrappling.com, and if you register early, you get a Discount. The only folks who don't get a discount are black belts because they compete for free. So if you're a black belt and you've always wanted to get out there with some of the best grapplers around improving your skills, go to usgrappling.com. You'll be glad you did. How did you start training jiu-jitsu? What motivated you and what was your first time in jiu-jitsu like? The year was 1999. There was a Y2K scare that everyone thought things were going to blow up. I know, like, now when I tell this story, it's kind of weird because some of these kids were barely alive. But in 1999, we were worried that the world would end because computers didn't know how to handle the number 2,000. And I hadn't really done anything. I wanted to get a medal. I wanted to win a medal that said the year 2000 on it. And so in 1999, I had been doing some running, and I ran around uh, the golf course 
it was like three and a half miles or something. And then one day I did it twice and I was like feeling on top of the world. Like I ran six miles and then I went to the gym to rock climb with some friends of mine. And they happened to mention that they had done the LA marathon and that I should do it with them this year. And I was like, Ooh. and I thought, Oh, that's a way I could get a medal that said 2000. And, uh, so that seemed to make sense. So we joined this group where they give you a program and every weekend you go and train with them. And I did the LA marathon with my friend, Rudy Fishman. Um, and it turned out that that year the marathon, uh, was plagued by lightning, hail and thunder and rain. And it was a nightmare. (laughs) And so we went out and then, you know, like running through parts of LA where the, uh, drains were clogged. So we're running through, what, six, 12 inches of water. And then with the LA Marathon, every mile there's supposed to be some sort of entertainment. They had all packed up and left. Um, I remember in one neighborhood, it was the old route, and it was um, down through part of the more inner city, and the houses had these porches in front that were, you know, they have the wire mosquito stuff or whatever and there's one little kid playing his trumpet down there and that was it was like the one person left was playing his trumpet and that was really wonderful and in some of those areas you know like all the people are out and they're just high-fiving you like you're a big star and I'm like uh I mean we're like a couple hours in I'm like at the back of the pack kind of thing and they're super excited that just to give you a high five that was cool um, but Rudy had gone out well ahead of me, and then uh, I think it was on Highland and and uh, Melrose. I think that the the donut place was there. But his brother lived in that area, so we knew that his brother. I think it was about mile sixteen, was going to be there with uh, oranges. And I got there, and Rudy was there, and his leg had kind of locked up. I think because of the weather and stuff. So we ended up walking in like the the last eight miles which took us through downtown LA. So he's hobbling. And so people are thinking he's, dis- he's disabled. And so people kept running by us or, or walking by us, like everyone in a costume, every Fruit of the Loom character, every superhero. And they were all encouraging him. And I just laughed at him. <laughs> so we, we, and then we go through, you know, down past MacArthur Park. And then this whole area heading into downtown was like wind tunnels because of the buildings and it was freaking freezing and we were soaked wet and it was a terrible experience. We get to the finish line, we cross the finish line. I actually just found the pictures that um, they had on the cameras there when I was cleaning out some stuff and it was a horrible experience. So I'll never probably ever do a marathon again because they say you can't do another marathon until you forget the last one. Well, I'll never forget that. So um, that was kind of a bad experience that year. Um, And then Later that year, at the uh, it was September or October, another friend of mine who rock climbed, she and her husband were going on this hiking trip up to Mount Whitney with friends of theirs, and uh, something happened to one of their friends that couldn't go now, so they had two extra spots, and they said, well, you're the only person that we know is in kind of in decent enough shape that could go with us. I said, okay, I'll go. So I started, I think I had like two weeks, I started running up the stairs with water bottles and my backpack and trying to get in shape, and so we go on this hike. And on the way up, her husband, who I've only met once or twice, was telling me about this thing he does called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it's this martial art that um, uses technique, oversize, and strength. I'm like, oh, that sounds great, whatever. 
And then we get up to Lone Pine and we're staying a night in the motel before we go do this hike. So we're in the motel. I have my own room and then I'm hanging out with him in their room and he starts showing me, you know, like he's a blue belt in jiu-jitsu and he's super excited about it. You know how people get. And so you want to share with everybody, of course, we all get that way. And so he starts showing me the positions on the bed. And I, I, I know his wife. I don't really know him that well. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a little weird. You know, he's like showing me guard and mount and all the stuff on the bed. And I'm so I, I'm kind of a little paralyzed. And she just like starts laughing because she's like, I don't want to do I, I tried it, not interested. This is his thing. And then it doesn't get really any weirder. I mean, you know, and, and so I'm like, okay, whatever. So we go on this hike. Um, as we get to the switchbacks, a storm comes in. And anyway, it, it turns into a nightmare. We never, I never got to the top of Mount Whitney. Next day, we're coming off the mountain. We're all not happy. And uh, we're in the car driving back. And I said, what was that thing that you were telling me about? Because, you know, in that year, I had kind of two bad outdoor experiences. And I'm not a super outdoor person. So I thought, oh, that indoors might, might be the next thing to try. So he told me about it. And then at that time, I lived in West L.A. Um, and I think it was Monday or Tuesday, I went to go see his class, which was at Jean-Jacques Machado's in the Valley. And I went and watched one day. And then that must have been a Tuesday. And then I think I came back the next day to do a, a, my first class. And he stayed. There was, a, there was a beginning class at 730 after the advanced class. So he stayed. And I was his partner and felt comfortable. And then I would say, OK. You know, these are all the things that I feared. Close contact, people sweating on you suffocation, choking, everything about it was stuff that I didn't find appealing. <laughs> and I signed up. And he never stayed for another class. <laughs> but I, you know, I was lucky because in that group, in that beginner class, there was a good group of guys that took me in as their sister and um, you know, took care of me and made sure I didn't get hurt or, you know, if anything happened and they made it welcoming for me and I was able to gut it out and continue training. You mentioned that this was a lot of things that you didn't like, like close contact, people sweating on you. Like what made you stay? Was it a challenge or fears sort of thing or was it the, the group that you were with or what do you, why do you think you stuck with it? I don't know. <laughs> I, there are definitely things that I'm scared of that I will just jump in and do and kind of put the blinders on and just go. So I'm not exactly sure because I don't remember it being a conscious thing of I'm scared of all these things. I think internally maybe there was some sort of internal challenge that I – but it wasn't a conscious thing. It was just like, okay, I'll oh, I signed up. I might as well go. And then I kind of just said, okay, I'll go two days a week because – I signed up for this membership. I'm stuck in a year. So I just was like, okay, I'm going to go these two days a week. And I made it just a thing. It, it wasn't a question of, am I going to go or not? It was like, I'm going. And um, I did that after six months. I did my first tournament. And then after that, I just kind of kept going. And then I got my blue belt and then always kind of kept competing and then started training a little bit more another day a week. I started adding another day, another day. And then slowly it kind of, just grew and took over. <laughs> was there one moment where you're like, you know, I actually love this? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I think there was a couple times where I thought, oh, I guess I'm pretty good at this. And that might have been a few years ago. 
Well after black belt. Well after black belt. I was kind of like, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. Well, your competitive achievements are really well documented. I think that that ju- I think that's probably inspiring to anybody else who's struggling with their own j- perception of their jiu-jitsu. But like, you've won the pans, you've won the nogi pans, you won Masters Worlds. Um, did you always know you wanted to be a competitor, or at what point? You said you competed six months in. At what point did you decide you wanted to compete, and what do you get get out of competition? I I think well, I, I'm just a competitive person, which. I didn't really register that I was a competitive person, but I think uh, I think I was forty something, and I was talking to my mom one day when I was visiting her, and she looked at me and said, "Well, everybody knows you're competitive," and I was like shocked. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "What? Oh, I guess I am." You know, like I always wanted to do well in things, um, but you know, I I always did sports, different sports, they weren't really focused on in growing up, but those were the things I liked doing. And I was never very good at any of them, which, you know, it's like doing sports to me was doing it because I love doing it and, and learning to do it and focusing and working hard. Um, I think not being good at sports, but loving certain sports so much that it taught me how to work hard and it taught me how I, I think those things later when I started jujitsu, those things kind of just kicked in. You know, I had done gymnastics and like I said, I wasn't very good, but I would always go home and as a little kid in the hallway, I'd put down cushions and, and just work by myself and over and over and over, just repeating, repeating, repeating. And I'm not a huge driller in jujitsu, but I think just that mindset has always kind of been there. Even when it didn't reap great rewards at the beginning, it was just kind of how I approached things. So, it, it you know, like at the time, you know, John Jack, it was John Jack's tournament. He was kind of throwing the tournaments. And after six months, I'd heard people talking about it. I'm like, I asked the teacher, I was like, do you think I, I'm ready to do this? He goes, oh, sure. So I went and did it, and that was pretty cool. I won my first match. So I had been to one tournament before this, and I didn't really think anything through. I think that, you know, it's one of those things where you don't really think things through because if you did, you probably wouldn't do them. So uh, I go and I compete and I won my first match and I sit down and I'm huffing and puffing and I'm with just this white belt. And then the guy comes over and tells me, okay, you have, I think, five minutes to rest or 10 minutes, whatever it was, and then you're going to fight again. And I looked at him like, what? I'm fighting again? Like, clearly, I didn't think this through. And uh, in that match, I got mounted. I think there was a minute left or two minutes left. It seemed like an hour or two. And I got mounted, and then I finally got out at the very end, and I lost that match. I think I ended up taking second or something. Um, But it's always just kind of been part of my jujitsu evolution journey, whatever. And, And I do think that that was a huge part of progressing really quickly in jujitsu for me. And you know, like just, it shows you your holes. It shows you what to work on. It gives you direction. It gives you things to go after and prepare for. And I think that sharpens your jujitsu and instead of, um, just kind of playing around or without a focus for me, it helped the whole way. So I've mostly, uh, competed most of my time in jujitsu. Yeah. What was it like training with Jean-Jacques? It was, uh, what was he like as an instructor? Did he support your competitive aspirations? What, what, what was training with him like? Jean-Jacques is really amazing. He, uh, I don't, he never pushes people to do things. He never tries to limit people, you know, like 
you know, I came up, Eddie Bravo was ahead of me. And so I, but I was there through that whole thing. You know, I started in two, at the end of 2000. So to getting ready for ADCC, the trials and all that stuff, I got to watch all that and his evolution with 10th planet. Um, you know, Jean-Jacques always just encouraged people to find their own way and to find their jujitsu and how it's very personal. And so there was never any discouragement, you know, like and that's how Tenth Planet did come about, right? Where I think there made in another situation someone might have said, Why are you doing that? Stop doing that. Um he's always very open and very conceptually based. And so I think his approach is to give you these tools and skills of understanding that you can learn to apply in your own way, um, with whatever game or styles that you want to develop. Um so the, it was just always open, right? Open and encouraging. And at that time, there were only three or four people that competed from our academy. Um, but I just kind of did my own thing anyway. I mean, I was the only girl there, more or less. There was one or two other girls once in a while. But I just kind of did my own thing. But that's just kind of how I am in life uh, as well. So I don't kind of notice other things around me that might have said, why are you doing that? I mean, except for my mom. She's like are you done yet? <laughs> like she doesn't understand. She's like, if you're so good, why do you have to keep going to class? <laughs> so you mentioned that it was rare for you to have another woman in the gym. And like you got started in 1999 when this was, yeah. Oh, 2000. I'm sorry. Yeah. The marathon was 99. Yeah. No, uh, it was all 2000. I just got to jujitsu at the end after uh, the marathon and the horrible trip in October. Then November I started. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Was still not very many people, not very many people no. period doing jujitsu and not, certainly not very many women. What was it like for you being a woman in, in jujitsu at that time? I really didn't notice. <laughs> I, I, there were definitely times um, with some of the characters and the conversations. Um, I've always worked in male-dominated fields, and I'm pretty verbal um, and can talk a little bit of smack. Um, but even at the beginning, you know, I just kind of was quiet. And you know, anytime you're in a new environment or a new job or whatever, you kind of like see what the lay of the land is. And there are definitely times when some of the guys would talk about things that, I don't know, probably would cause a lawsuit today. But to me, sometimes it was like they didn't notice I was here. You know, like I just became one of the jujitsu guys training. Um, and I, it was clear it was a male-dominated environment. It didn't really bother me. I just do my own thing, you know. So... What was the question? Oh, no. <laughs> you, you got the question. Um, so you mentioned competition and you being a competitive person, and we talked a little bit about your experience at Abu Dhabi. I'm wondering, like, looking back, like, what is your most – what's the competitive achievement you're most proud of in jiu-jitsu? You've won the pans. You've won the nogi pans. You've won Masters Worlds, and you medal at Abu Dhabi. Like, are there particular tournaments that stand out with you about, like, I'm really proud of that, this achievement I'm really proud of? Yeah, definitely Abu Dhabi. Uh, you know, that was – Definitely the high point for me. Um, in the semifinal, I, I fought Megumi Fuji. Well, the first match was Letitia Ribeiro. And when I was a blue belt, I went to Brazil. And Letitia was already a black belt. And um, 
was very kind and helped you know, they were with some other girls and, and she took us around the city and we went and trained with her and she smashed me. And I have my journals where I'm reading, uh, you know, I trained with Letitia Ribeiro and she smashed me. And I don't know, like I was nervous about the competition and I even said, but I have to remember I'm a blue belt. She's a black belt. Of course, she's going to smash me. I'm not competing against her this weekend. Um, and so that, that was pretty surreal, that experience to compete against her after and she's always been super kind um and then the next match was Megumi Fuji and in the two years before that tournament I would I had actually been sent to Japan twice and I, I the the plan was supposed to be that I would win a match and then they wanted to kind of try to set up me and Megumi after that except that both times that I went out to Japan I lost um, and it, it's, you know, in hindsight, you start to see things differently and it was devastating being sent to Japan two times and losing two times, failing miserably two times. Um, but those are the things that you learn from and you grow from and you learn what to do next and it helps you get prepared for the future challenges. Um, but when you lose, it's very difficult, right? And so as I came off of those things, you know, I was seeing a sports psychologist and different things were happening in my life. And then I won the North American trials and then ended up fighting Megumi in the semi. And uh, I tapped her in the semi-final. And then I lost to her student in the final. Most people think I, I won, and that was the final, um, because she was pretty high profile. Um, so that was probably like the biggest moment for me. Um, and th th definitely, I mean, I was 39 years old and the girls I was competing against have been doing this their whole life. So it, it was kind of a big deal. And that was kind of the, the high point. I was in the best shape of my life and, um, it all came crashing down after that. But, <laughs> but at least I had that moment, you know, that, that time, um, you know, I started when I was 33, so it was kind of late and, even later now, because people are starting much younger now that jujitsu is more popular and more prevalent everywhere in the world. Um, but that was kind of uh, the moment for me. Yeah. Megumi is a legend and is still, you know, and one of the earliest women to get a black belt too. Certainly one of the earliest out of Brazil. So what an achievement. And also super cool, super awesome person. Just, uh, you know, amazing people. So what about jiu-jitsu, like, other, outside of competition? Like, what are the things that make jiu-jitsu a meaningful part of your life? Like, you mentioned some of the people that you meet. Uh, but I mean, what, what, what is it about jiu-jitsu that makes it have the staying power in your life? Well, somehow jiu-jitsu kind of takes over. <laughs> and um, after... Actually, right before Abu Dhabi, I was teaching full-time at a gym. And eventually after that, like, that became, you know, my, my whole – more and more of your regular world or what used to be your world um, disappears and more of your world becomes centered around jiu-jitsu, which I'm sure you're, you've had the experience um, having your own academy especially. And I don't have a lot of – any friends outside of jiu-jitsu. Uh, you know, there are a few people that I went to school with in the past and 
but most people are somehow related, you know, and then when all your work is related around MMA or jujitsu, it, it becomes your world, right? And those worlds have grown. Um, so then, then you're stuck. I mean, I almost walked away from all of this. Uh, in 2014, I was uh, about to walk away from MMA, jujitsu, everything about the, these worlds and start a new life. Because um, I had chronic fatigue, and I couldn't train for about five years, and I was about to start something else because I was getting frustrated teaching jiu-jitsu when I couldn't train, and uh, it was very sad. And so I thought, God, maybe I just need to quit this and start something completely different, which I hadn't really figured out what that was. But um, then I went to Hawaii to take my student to compete, and a friend of mine um, got me on an algae supplement, and I felt better, and then I came back and... And then it was full full bore back into jujitsu and competition again. So um, I haven't been able to escape it. It does have an intense gravitational pull. Um, and <laughs> it's like a black hole, isn't it? A little bit, you know, m- much like uh, much like uh, your side control pressure, like really heavy, really dense. <laughs> uh, and you're coming off an injury, and you're just now starting to come back. And like, is it difficult for you to like? I find myself when I'm injured. Even like right now, you know, I have a little bit of a sprain and I haven't rolled in like a week and I'm looking Here. like a sad and lower back. Damn it, I should have taken advantage of uh, <laughs> <laughs> If you didn't take advantage, you, 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 you beat me up pretty good even without taking advantage. But, uh, but yeah, like uh, it's tough for me to like be on the mat and not roll. Is that, is that your experience too? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they're definitely – okay, so I, I do certain things. So I've had a lot of injuries in the – recent years um but you know i'll go to open mat like there'll be women's open mats and like hey come hang out and you know i love hanging out but i'll do little things so i'll wear like a dress so if i'm sitting on the mat like it kind of manages me a little bit my hair you know i don't have rolling hair on so then you know when i'm seriously rolling i have a certain hairdo if i'm just like Doing a little bit, I have a different hairdo, so I kind of try to manage myself through those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, if we see you in a dress, we'll know that you're not going to be rolling. I'm buying a dress. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, you know, because even with a dress, I've gotten on the mat. Because someone asks a question, I'm like, okay, and I tuck the dress up, you know, or type not and something, and I'm like trying to show something. But at least I'm not out there rolling, right? So, yeah, it's hard. I mean, definitely there's been a few injuries where I just didn't go into the academy at all for a certain amount of time. And then there are other ones where I've gone in and stretched and hung out and just tried to help people. And, you know, but you, you kind of have to protect yourself from yourself. It's a little hard. In terms of teaching, do you find that teaching improves your own jujitsu or is it something that takes away from your own practice or is it some combination? Uh, both, for sure, both. Um, so I was teaching full-time, I think. Um, I think, well, for me it wasn't so much of an issue because I really wasn't training as much at that point. But I, I do see it happening with lower belts, especially... Um, I think when lower belts are asked to teach and become the authority, I think it kind of shuts down a different pathway of curiosity and wonderment of jujitsu. Um, I know that when I came back to jujitsu in 2014, I wasn't teaching anymore. I just did privates and then my brain could open up and feel free to experiment and play. And I think 
for me, it's two different modes of thinking. When you're teaching, you're breaking things down into steps and taking things apart and learning them. I don't know which side of your brain that is where you, because I think that was also proved wrong too or yeah. by science. But it puts you in an analytical mode where you're trying to understand as opposed to this open creative mode. And so I, I think in those years where I was teaching, it was very much about like conveying this information and, and your brain starts piecing things into information to convey where when I come back and I'm just rolling and free, it's like playing and then it's feeling. And I don't have these, this part of my brain trying to understand things. It's just experiencing and being present in that moment. And I love that so much more. So I I tell people like, I like teaching a lot, but I love rolling. Like that's, the part, and if I could only do one, I would obviously roll and not teach. But I love helping people and, I, and teaching, but I love the feeling and the experiencing. And I do think sometimes teaching can shut that down. Um, so, like I said, like I, I've seen uh, it happen to a few people that were tasked with teaching some classes, and then it shifts that gear but it's not something you can convey to them at the time because they're very happy to be doing that. But I've also know a couple of them have come back after and like, I'm getting stuck. I think I need to stop teaching because I need to open up this other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I hope I didn't offend people with saying that. Oh, no, I think that makes perfect sense. I think those of us that have taught at the same time we're trying to compete and to grow our own jiu-jitsu can identify with, with both halves of that equation. U.S. Grappling comes to Frederick, Maryland on June 29th. This is always a great tournament at the Frederick Indoor Sports Center. You can register online at usgrappling.com. If you're not in the Maryland area, but you're in North Carolina, South Carolina, or Virginia, August 3rd, U.S. Grappling comes back to Richmond, Virginia. This is one of my favorite tournaments to attend because you get folks from the DMV, you get folks from North and South Carolina, you get folks from Tennessee occasionally, and of course the local Virginia grapplers. Early registration is ongoing and ends July 26th, so get online at usgrappling.com. Remember, black belts compete for free. I'm also curious what you think about another sort of classic jiu-jitsu distinction that people make between sport and self-defense. You know, you're an avid sport competitor, really accomplished, and a lot of people do jiu-jitsu for self-defense. And so we were talking a little bit earlier about um, training for self-defense versus one-time self-defense seminars, and I'm curious about your thoughts on that sort of stuff. Like, like, Can can we effectively train self-defense what do you think it takes to really train jiu-jitsu for self-defense? Like it can't be a sort of one-off sort of thing, right? It has to be sustained training. Well, I think I think any jiu-jitsu, be it sport or whatever, is great for self-defense, right? Like you already understand how your body works and you understand gravity and submissions and escapes and things like that. So I, I think that's built in whether you're doing sport or self-defense because – you know, if someone attacks a guy that does sport jujitsu, that guy's still going to have more than the attacker most likely, right? Um, and even if you're a Barambola wizard, 
depending on what surface you're on, you still understand, I want to get this guy's back or choke this guy, which is built in. I don't know that if you had a Baron Bola wizard and someone attack him in the street that they wouldn't be able to defend themselves. I think they would be able to because of the basic understanding. Maybe it's not the most efficient way. I mean, we've seen videos of people baramboloing on concrete and they're okay or better than they would be if they weren't doing anything, right? Um, I mean, self-defense, it's like a, a great way to trick people into jujitsu, right? Like that's what it's for. Um, and it's a much friendlier jujitsu world, so I think it's going to be easier and easier to trick people into getting into jujitsu because I, I don't think physically learning certain things there's there's no repetition there's no constant practice so if you don't have that in your body how are you going to do that you know you take whatever week whatever course in self defense um even your mindset i think when you're doing jujitsu your mindset is different than if you aren't doing jujitsu, and especially for women, how you carry yourself and your self confidence is going to be different than someone who doesn't do jujitsu. Of course, I think everyone should do jujitsu, but people aren't going to do that. So I really do think you know we talked about this a little bit, like a regular self defense course for someone who's never going to do jujitsu. It's just being more aware of yourself in the world and being smarter and using your common sense, which is in short supply these days in some ways, right? With phones and just people being aware. Um, I think just being aware of what's around you and, you know, not walking to your car by yourself in an alleyway and, you know, all those things. And if you do, to be hyper vigilant about what's going on. You know, there are definitely times where it's like, crap, I have to walk down this dark alley. So, or you're in a situation where through no fault of yours, or maybe it was poor plan, whatever, but at least you're aware. And I think even just being aware and maybe walking at a brisk pace down that alley is going to save you more than being on your cell phone walking down a dark alley. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's just a little bit of self-awareness and awareness of the world um, can help, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I used to go on these runs for a brief moment, and there'd be a few times where I went running and it was dark, like I didn't plan well and it was already dark and you had to run under these overpasses that were dark. And, you know, I just treated them as interval runs. So as I got closer, I was like, I would jog. And then when I went out under the underpass where it was dark, I'm like, I'm going to sprint. And I already had like all my faculties, like I'm going to run. And if someone tries to, you know, like I already had a mindset where you know, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to sprint like hell to get, past that and if anyone's in my way I'm going to fucking bowl them over and get the fuck out of there and get through there and, and, and get to the other side and then the light's over there and then I can jog again you, you know but I think just even having that presence of mind I think I mean I've never had an issue with it but I kind of practice that as well just that awareness and so hopefully I'm not the fastest person but if I'm running with intention under there like maybe I'm not the best target for someone to attack I think I don't know. What do you think? Uh, my instructor tells uh, his women self-defense students to learn chokes, then choke them and heel hook them. Yeah. I, I think uh, I was told choke them, armbar, and heel hook them so then they can't grab you and they can't run and stuff like that. 
Um, I would, you know, again, but that's also part, like, even if you're going to a self-defense class, being aware of scenarios, right, and playing those through your head. Not that you want them to happen, but I would play things through. You know, there was one time when I was married, and then he would travel a lot. And so being comfortable living with someone and then not being with them because you're used to being with them, then I would have some certain scenarios, like if someone tried to attack me, what would I do here? What would I do here? And at least you're a little bit more prepared, and hopefully nothing ever happens. But... If something does, it's not the first time, which, again, brings us back to you, you might as well just train jiu-jitsu because you'll learn to love it. But now you're used to people sitting on top of you. And I, I, I say, like, I'm not going to guarantee that you won't get raped or hurt or whatever, but I can guarantee that you're going to be less panicked than if you had never had the experience of someone sitting in mount on top of you, for instance, or in turtle position. You're going to be much less panicked because it's not the first time and if you're regularly training you're gonna roll through a knee bar them or something you know but i I don't know what but but you're gonna have a a certain wit about you and you're not gonna panic because you know in in some ways i don't know i I don't i'm not quite sure what the response would be but i i'm pretty sure it would be better than if you had never been in that position ever and you're freaking out about that I mean, honestly, you've hit on what I think is the most important contribution jiu-jitsu makes to self-defense, even more than the techniques, which is how many human beings are, re- are ever going to have somebody grab them in anger, right? And so if you see even the brand new folks, like the, the CrossFit athletes that come and try jiu-jitsu, the minute somebody puts a grip on them, suddenly, yeah, big deep breath, adrenaline dump, a minute in, they're tired. These people are in better shape than I've ever been in my life, yeah, yeah. and they're tired. And so I think that primarily, and like obviously I think the techniques are valuable too, but just the experience of like like you said, hey, somebody's in mount like trying to crush my chest. Oh, I've been here before. I know how to get out. I'm I'm not adrenaline dumping. I'm not freaking out. I think more that more more so even than the technical aspects of jiu-jitsu, just the regular training aspects are, are really valuable for self-defense. Yeah, it's definitely mental, right? And the combination of the mental and physical, and you know, like you've been mounted a million times. You had people take your back a million times in competition, in on the mat every day. And it's like, oh, you know, even to the point, you know, we, you give your back, you know, newer people, you give your back, whatever you, and you're just like, so relaxed. So I think if it's a bad situation, that's unexpected. So maybe you will have that little adrenaline, because you're not even sure you're probably like, what's even going on, which I think is always kind of the first response, like, is this really, and then you're like, oh, and, and hopefully like that experience is part of what's in your body, right? Switching back to competition for just a minute, like I always tell – like the advice that I give, I don't think everybody needs to be a competitor. Like my, my perspective on it is we all train jiu-jitsu for some similar reasons but a lot of different ones. Some people want to fight MMA. Some people want to feel a little safer. Some people just want to get in shape. I would say that even if you don't want to be a competitor, I, I advise everybody to try competing at least once just to get the experience of what that's like. What, what, what do you think about that? I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I think they should try it once, two, three times. Um, I don't know that I would ever say I love competing. Like, I now understand I love the grind and the preparation and the focus in getting ready to compete, I think more so than the competition. I like having that focus, and obviously I've been doing that since the beginning. Um, I think it's a different aspect, right? You have self-defense, you have... And I don't know, do people train jiu-jitsu for self-defense for that long? Like... 
at some point you want to start having you start having fun with jujitsu as opposed to I don't want to be attacked or I want to handle like because you get sucked into this world right and then it grows and it becomes something else um, even though your intention coming in was self defense I think jujitsu takes over and you start loving it um, but competition is another aspect of it and it's a different set of skills to do well in competition. And I think people should experience it and then decide if they want to go down that avenue, right, and get better at that. And, you know, it's personal. But I think everyone should try it a couple times and just have the experience. Um, in some ways, it's sort of like another aspect of self-defense because now you're in a situation of unknown, right? You're, you're going at someone. It's a controlled situation, but it's someone that you don't know what they have. It's not a regular guy that you train with all the time. So that's kind of the excitement. The adrenaline is like, I don't know what this person is doing. So it's a little bit parallel to that. Yeah, maybe somewhere in between. I mean, I don't know, a situation, one of those programs where you hire someone to attack you. Oh. <laughs> Sometime in the next month and you don't know it. Um, that's always pretty scary. But, um, but it's, it's a controlled situation, right? Like it's kind of a step toward that. But I think people should have that experience. And some people will be like, oh, this is a p- place where I want to learn more skills in this area. Or I'm good. I, I like training every day at the academy. I always say that, you know, when we're here in, in the academy, especially people that we train with a lot, like you have your regular training partners, right? And you know they have your best interests at art even when they're trying to smash your face. But like <laughs> when you're standing across from someone and you don't know if he's a judo person, you don't know if that person's a wrestler, you don't know if they're going to pull guard, you don't know if they're a bear, you don't know if they're going to dive on your feet. I mean, there's that freeze on, that sort of adrenaline aspect that makes it exciting and keeps it fresh and interesting, I think. Yeah, definitely. So, um one question I wanted to ask too, we we had discussed um, gi versus no gi, <laughs> and about like you know I, I, you know like uh, so many jujitsu people say, and I will say you know they're like they're like your kids, you can't pick one. But like we were talking about how um, gi grips can mess up your fingers and such, and how I'm, I'm curious, like what do you see the breakdown in your own training of gi versus no gi, and what do you advise for people at various stages of their journey? I th- well, for my for my experience, I started with gi. And um, learned nogi along the way. Like when I was a purple belt, there were no people really to compete with at a lot of tournaments. There were only women at what pans and worlds, and so that's why I started doing more nogi because there were tournaments that were two years and up and three years and up. And then I had people I could compete against. So at that time, Grappler's Quest was one of the big ones, and. That's why I ended up doing a lot more nogi, and then I was training with Eddie Bravo and stuff like that. So that kind of grew, and then that's how I ended up doing Abu Dhabi more so than some of the gi stuff. And so then as I progressed in that, then I started doing more nogi. And then later I was teaching nogi and then involved with MMA, and then that was nogi. And for a long time, the gi felt really uncomfortable. And then when I went back to John Jackson in 2014, it felt like a glove. Um, so there are different times, right? And it, there were times where I liked gi more than no gi. And I, I think after you, I, I like, you know, the way I went is like I got a very good foundation in, in gi and then started adding more and more no gi in and then eventually did more no gi. But I still had that understanding from the gi and... 
I like the idea that you can play two games instead of one, especially you have one day of gi and one day of no gi at a tournament. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do both. I, I can play two sports. Um, I think now it's getting a little more – they're separating a little bit with the yeah. leg stuff, right, the heel hooks and things like that. Um, so that's changing it a little bit, changing the game a little bit. Um, but we'll see where it goes. I, I, I think for me, I like playing both. Um, but I, I think it's hard at the beginning, uh, to do both. I think it's hard to do one. Yeah. Right. I mean, like literally I was lost for a year and a half at least. Um, but lost meaning in a dark closet with no light for a year and a half. I had no idea what was going on. Still arm buying the wrong arm like everybody else and can't remember anything, still can't remember anything. But um, I, I, I think just the more opportunity you have to do different things, um, it's awesome. So one of our goals here on the podcast is to interview all the members of the so-called Dirty Dozen, the first 12 people to get black belts, you know, particularly. And uh, you're one of those, one of the first 12 women to get a black belt outside of Brazil. And I'm curious, is that something that you think about? Is that something that you're proud of? Does that status hold something meaningful f- to you? Or is it something that you don't think about in terms of your own achievements, like being one of the first people to do it? Well, it's nothing I ever thought of coming up, of course. There were definitely women before me. Um, and some of them stopped training or different things along the way. Um, there were definitely more that were ahead of me and that paved the road. Right. Um, I, I guess after, I think in 2015, that article was written, you know, the guys they had done a long time ago and then the women, someone finally wrote an article and put the dates down and, I think since then, and as I've gotten older and come back to the sport, um, and I guess with all the new people, like it gets brought up a lot, so it it means more now. Uh, but coming up, it, when I was training, I was just training because I wanted to train. I wasn't training for anyone else. And even there were times there were people would say, blah, 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 for women and whatever, and I was like... I'm just training because I love training and I like competing. And as I've gotten older in the sport and in life, you know, I, I see the responsibility or the, uh, the, the, I guess responsibility, you know, that, that now that that's in history um, and other women see that or even guys, it's not specific to women and respect that, you know, that, because I'm not a young competitor, I'm not 20-something, um, I appreciate it, and I appreciate the respect of it, and I appreciate that I'm in a position that I can help other women and encourage them and or slap them in the face if they need it. You know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a realist, you know? It's, it's like I'm pretty blunt sometimes, which some people don't like, but, um, you know, sometimes... I, I've heard or read of women complaining about whatever adversity in jujitsu, and that's part of it. It's like life; like it's not easy. Every day doesn't get to be sunshine and roses. I think probably in my since I came back to jujitsu, it's been much more fun for me. 
But I don't know that it was fun before. It was always work. It was always getting beat up or whatever it was, right? It was always a struggle. Um, even well after black belt, you know, training jujitsu is a struggle because you don't get to win every one and you don't get to do one move and it works every time. It's like, why didn't this work? Why, why am I, oh, that didn't, you know, like it's a constant struggle and it's like life. It doesn't really get easier. You learn how to deal with things differently and with your experience over time, it changes, which it changed for me. So it's more fun or I experience it more as fun as opposed to struggle. But struggle is a major part of jujitsu, I think. Mm-hmm. So you don't get it on a platter made for you. Although there is much more, it's a much more kinder, gentler world of jujitsu. But the reality is it's combat. Someone's trying to break your arm or kill you. And so there is going to be pain, there is going to be adversity, and you're not always going to win. And you are going to have injuries, you are going to go through these things, and you are going to get smashed by some idiot person. And you learn how to deal with those things, which may be not going with that guy again. You know, like, it's part of life, right? It's experience. So it doesn't get to be a sugar-coated pill. It's like, there needs... it's like when people want to compete and they're like, oh, I want to be a world champion and this and that. Okay, if that's all it's about, we'll have the Felicia O World Championships and here you get a gold medal. Now you're a world champion. Can we get over that now? Can we just train now? Can we just try to get better at jujitsu? Get better at what we do on the mat, right? Like to me, it's just about that. And these other things, it's like you're going to have ups and downs, right? It's not about the sunshine and roses it's about you know you overcome something or you get past something and that's more rewarding and fulfilling you know like taking second at a tournament with all the toughest people is better than winning against a bunch of people that are beginners when you've been training for 10 years you know like you you have to put that in perspective and be like okay you know it's not just about winning or coming out on top it's about your journey and and what you can overcome i think i could not agree more i think that's a great answer uh is there anything i haven't asked about that you really wish i would have asked about or anything about you that you really want people to know are you asking me to share a secret oh (laughs) i have no secrets that i'm gonna ever share um no i think this is wonderful we're in bellingham bellingham used to be drive-through when i was a child oh wow yeah like, Bellingham was something you passed on the way to Vancouver, Canada. I grew up in Seattle. But your academy is awesome. And just the environment that you guys have here. You have this beginning class. It was packed the other night when I came by. And um, it's just a great environment. And you had, what, four brown belts, black belts. And you guys were out there pushing each other. It was awesome. And just the people I've met here have been great. So thank you. Well, thank you. That means a lot to us. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show. I've always wanted to train with and and, uh, learn from you and have you on the show. And so I'm really glad that you were able to do that with us today. There's a lot to take away from that interview, no matter what level you're at in jiu-jitsu. If you're a brand new person, I hope you're encouraged by the fact that one of the greats of all time struggled through her first 18 months of jiu-jitsu. If you're a black belt and you're frustrated with where your game is at, I hope you took some comfort from the fact that Felicia O says... 
jujitsu always is a struggle, but that's also what's fun about it. You get to problem solve in real time, and we experience that less as a struggle and more as a challenge as we grow in our jujitsu. I also want to say how much I appreciate both the time she took to come by and grapple at Bellingham BJJ and for the kind words about our academy. Felicia O will be back in Bellingham in September for a seminar. We're still setting that up. Details will become available. But if you're in the Los Angeles area, definitely try and train with Felicia if you can. I highly recommend it. And if you're in Bellingham, come by and see us at Bellingham BJJ. My thanks to Felicia O for the time she took, and we hope to see her and you again soon.